One of the things that um, we've been been hearing uh, th that I've uh, taken to heart uh, is uh, that uh, it, it, it sometimes helps when you're listening to a message to know where you're going, to have a kind of outline to follow. And uh, normally, I don't really complete everything that I'm planning to say until the day before, but I have to send in the, the slides for the screen like on Wednesday. So I... Um, so we're going to go old school on this. I don't have slides for my main points, but, I, but you're going to help me with the main points. So, um, so the people on this side, when I cue you for the first main point, I want you to say inside, outside. That's the first point. Inside, outside. Okay, we'll practice. Ready? Inside, outside. Beautiful. Now, there are a lot more of you over here, but there's no less pressure because you have the second point. And the second point is border wall. Okay, ready? Border wall. Okay, because I'm going to get really political. Uh, no, you know me. Those of you who know me know that that will never happen in the history of the world. Uh, there's a third point, uh, and I'm going to ask my friend Mark Roma to do the third point. I want you to say, don't be Tom Cruise. For obvious reasons, I've chosen Mark Roma to do that line. Don't, ready? Good. Okay. We're ready. That's, that's it. So if you turn me off for the next, whatever, 20, 30 minutes, uh, you'll, you know the main points already. So if at dinner, you, so what did he preach about? Well, he preached about inside, outside, border wall, and don't be Tom Cruise. Our adventure starts about 3,000 years ago in the region of Babylon when a guy hears, senses, understands some kind of voice talking to him, which seems like the voice of God. Now, this has to be kind of strange because Babylon had a lot of different gods, and yet this wasn't like any of those. They didn't speak very much. This message came to him, and it said, go. Go, go to a place that I will show you. We know this man as Abraham. And he heard the voice of God, not one of the Babylonian gods, but a God over all the other gods who was saying, I have plans for you, go. And so he packed up his family and he went. God kept talking to him and he kept listening. And God said a couple of things. One, I will make of you a great nation. Strange, because Abraham didn't have any children yet. But God was saying, I will make your descendants like the sands of the sea. I will make you a great nation. And he also said, through you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. We're ready for our first point. Ready? Okay, these two promises have an inside and an outside to them. The inside, I'm going to make you a great nation. You will have a great nation. That's the inside. Inside this nation, I'm going to do amazing things. The children of Abraham will expand and grow and be a nation through which God will work. But also, the outside part of that, God will bless all the nations of the world through him. Time goes on. If I had a little calendar thing, you know, it would be 
and everything would get fuzzy and everything. So we find the descendants of Abraham, now millions of them, slaves in Egypt. And God speaks again to a guy named Moses. Moses is in the desert tending sheep. He sees this, this bush, just some sagebrush burning, but not burning up. It keeps burning and burning. What, what is going on? And he goes, and he hears the voice of God speaking to him and saying, go, go, go back into Egypt and set my people free. And all sorts of miracles happen as Moses does that. He responds in faith. He does what the voice is telling them and he brings the people out of Egypt and into freedom. And they go to Mount Sinai where God keeps speaking to Moses and he gives Moses the Torah. We know that word is the law, but it is so much more than a bunch of rules. It is a collection of, of ideas about who God is. It's a collection of, of worship traditions. Here is how I want you to live and to be, and here is why. Because this is who I am, and this is who you will be. It is the constitution for the nation of Israel. It tells them who they are. Now, over the next centuries, they will be going through territory where there are a lot of different nations, and those nations have different gods and different ways of living. They're going to be marching through Edom and through Moab and into the land of Canaan, and they'll be dealing with the Philistines. Each of those cultures has its own set of gods and its own set of ways of life. And that's not who Israel is. And Israel will be tempted to go and, and compromise with them, go and, and test out their gods and worship them in addition to the God who led them out of Egypt. And God says, no, don't do that. I need you to be special. I need you to be my people. I need you to focus on me. At the beginning of the Ten Commandments, we see God saying, I'm the God who led you out of Egypt. Remember that. And don't have any other gods before me. And he also says, don't make idols of me. Don't make little statues out of wood and stone because you're going to want to worship them and think that that is your God. That's not how it works. I am above all those other gods. I am the God who created the universe. I am the God who lives within you. I am the God who will lead you in your life. And so Israel developed this kind of inside view. Focusing on how to be God's people and how to distance themselves from the people around them, how to be true to the one true God. Even then, there was a secret plan afoot. God had a, that idea that he would bless all the nations of the world through Israel. And we see it here and there in the Torah, where there were laws about how to welcome foreigners who came to visit Israel. Remarkable hospitality would be issued to the foreigners who came in. So it's not just inside. There's an outside quality here, too. In the poetry, the Psalms particularly, there are images of the kings of the earth coming to Jerusalem with gifts and worshiping the God of Israel. 
that all the earth would someday come together in the worship of Israel's God. We hear those promises in the prophets. Habakkuk says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. There is a secret plan that goes outside the borders of the people of Israel. When Jesus comes, he found Pharisees and other leaders in charge of the society of Israel. And they were very much inside people. They were very much about closing the ranks, circling the wagons, building the walls, keeping people out who might sully the the reputation of the people, the ways of the people might lead them astray. So they took the laws of God from the Torah and they codified them and added to them and, and built other laws around them so that people wouldn't even accidentally break those rules. Jesus challenged those people. And he kept reaching outside. There were some other Jews there. There were women and children. Uh, there were sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes who were, who were ruled out, who were kept out of the inner circle by the Pharisees. And Jesus reached out to those people. People who had diseases like, like leprosy were ruled out. They weren't part of God's plan, according to the Pharisees. But Jesus reached out to them. He reached out to Samaritans who were half Jewish, but didn't measure up, according to the Pharisees. He even talked to some Gentiles who came and, and had some questions for him. Jesus was, was consistent with God's secret plan to extend the, the benefits of Israel to the whole world. And he challenged the Pharisees, and, and we could say he got killed for that. The plan still existed. We have a, we have a scripture here where we've been going through Ephesians. And Ephesians, the main theme here is God's secret plan. And we've been talking about it for weeks in various ways. And we've been, been parachuting into different passages of Ephesians and talking about them. I'm trying to put it all together for you today. At least the first four chapters. And, and in future weeks, we'll touch on some elements of chapters five and six. But we're going to talk about this secret plan of God and how it affects us, what our role is in that. And we find here in this scripture, in all his wisdom and insight, God did what he had purposed and made known to us the secret plan he had already decided to complete by means of Christ. And it goes on, the, this plan, which God will complete when the time is right, is to bring all creation together. Everything in heaven and on earth with Christ as head. I'm going to pause there in the Ephesians story and talk about us for a little bit. Because there are these two dynamics that we find in Christianity, which we find in the Bible. We, we come by them honesty, the inside and the outside. There are times when we are circling the wagons and we are with ourselves, and there are other times when we need to reach out. If I were to ask you why you come to church, what would you say? 
I think there are three main reasons. You would say a lot of different things. I think they might boil down to three different categories of reasons. One is to worship God. We come to meet with God, to bring God our our praises, our thanks, to be here, to be listening to what God has to say to us, to bring him our offerings, to sing him songs. We bring him all of who we are in worship, and God shares with us his plans for us, his love for us. He reminds us of what he has done for us. We have this interchange with God here together as a church. That is the centrality of who we are. And just as Israel of old gathered together to remember who they were as the people of God, so we do. We worship God and remember who we are as the worshiping people of God. We also come together to to hang out with each other. To love each other. Jesus said, by this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so that love is practiced in this room with these people. And not only in this room on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week as people get together in small groups and in activities and at at a fall festival and at a bunny building thing. We get together and we share love for one another. We are the people of God together and we connect with each other. That's another reason that we do what we do. But all of that is kind of an inside part of it. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. But if that's all it is, if we are just inside people, we're missing a major thing. We're missing the secret plan of God who has always wanted us to spin outward. We need to be centrifugal. You know that word, centrifugal? Centrifugal force is when a wheel is spinning and spinning and spinning. And there are certain forces that go inward that keep things around the center, but there's also a force that spins out, and that's centrifugal force. And that's what we need. We do need to spin. We need to worship together. We need to love together, to gather together in fellowship, but that needs to spin out to the world because that is God's secret plan that goes all the way back to Abraham. The, um, let me pick up the story. We did Abraham, Moses, got to Jesus. At the end of Jesus' uh, ministry uh, with his disciples, he, he gathered them and, and gave them Um, a plan for the future. And in fact, there are different versions of this in different Gospels, which suggests to me that maybe Jesus didn't just say this once, that, that maybe this was something he kept on saying to different groups of disciples over those 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And in one of those versions, he says, um, I, I, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will tell people about your experiences with me in the city where you are, Jerusalem, in the surrounding area, Judea, in Samaria, the next country over, and the ends of the earth. 
And that's what happened. The disciples went there, and if you read through the book of Acts, you see step by step, the disciples went further outward. The centrifugal force was moving them outward from Jerusalem to the surrounding area, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It took a while. They spent a few years in Jerusalem before they started moving outward, and it took persecution to send them outward, but they did move outward. And the Apostle Paul became the main ministry into the Gentile world, into the world outside of Israel. And there he found an interesting challenge. In the cities of the Roman Empire, there were already pockets of Jewish population that for centuries, in times of war and famine, certain groups of Jews had, uh, had emigrated from Israel. It was too tough to live there, and so they went to find better, better places to live elsewhere. And so they would establish communities in Alexandria, in Carthage, in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Rome, and many other cities there. They would develop communities of Jews there. And interestingly, they were they would bring that inside spirit with them. They would create a synagogue. They would support each other in living the Jewish way, in worshiping the Jewish way, in, in worshiping the Jewish God there, even though they were very much among other nations, other types of people, other cultures. They tried to keep their own culture. When Paul went out to take the message of Jesus to those cities, he went first to the synagogue, and he started preaching in the synagogue. He was a rabbi himself, and so they welcomed him, this traveling rabbi who had gotten the best education in Jerusalem. Here he is, all the way from Jerusalem, speaking to us in, in Ephesus. And he tells them about Jesus, and he tells them about the prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures and how Jesus fulfills them. And he gives them this, this message of the gospel. In those synagogues, there were often some non-Jews, some Gentiles who were listening in, who were hanging out there. They, they liked Judaism because it had a moral code. They liked the scriptures of Judaism. They liked things about Judaism. They didn't quite convert to it, but they liked to be part of the action there. And so they were on the outskirts listening in, and they love this. This is a message for them. Jesus is welcoming them into the inside of this Jewish thing. And so they are accepting what Paul has to say. Now, in some of these, there was kind of a split, and Paul got kicked out of the synagogue, and so he went down the block to someone's house and started meeting in someone's house, or he started meeting at a community center. Really, honestly, he would meet at a community center in some of these cities and, and gather a church, a gathering of both Jews and Gentiles together, those who had received the law of Moses and those who didn't. And this, too, created all sorts of problems because some of the Jews were saying, you Gentiles, you have to become Jews. You're welcome here, but you really got to become Jewish. And Gentiles were saying, no, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. And so what was going to happen? How did they deal with this? There was some discord. There were some problems. I mean, Jews had grown up saying, don't even eat dinner with a Gentile. Don't go to their house. We're going to be separate from them. That's the inside way. But Paul is, is pulling them into an outside way as well. And so, 
He writes to the Ephesians about what Jesus did. And we saw this in chapter 2, but we, we focused on the beginning of that chapter where he talks about the grace of God, and we are saved by the grace of God, not by the works of the law. And so Jews and Gentiles both can be saved because it is not our own following of the law. It is the grace of God that saves us. And so then we read later in that chapter, we have the scripture here, but now in un union with Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought us peace by making Jews and Gentiles one people. And then with his own body, he broke down the wall that separated them and kept them enemies. He abolished the Jewish law with its commandments and rules in order to create out of the two races one new people in union with himself in this way, making peace. Do you get that first line there? With his own body, he broke down the wall. Oh, time for the second, for the second point of, of today's message. Ready? Border wall. Okay, people were putting a border wall between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is saying, Jesus broke that down. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile now. We are all coming to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I have an application for that, that you may have thought of before, but maybe not. So today, when you read about Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament, I want you to think about the cultural distinction between people who have grown up in the church and those who haven't. Between a Christian culture and what we might call a secular culture. It's very evident today. We see it all over the place today. There is a deep cultural divide between those who have grown up doing the Christian things and those for whom that is strange and weird. Jewish people in Paul's day were people of the book. They had a certain way of life, a code of ethics. They had certain ways of worship, and these were precious to them, given by God. The Gentiles did not have any of that. They didn't know the book. They didn't have that code of ethics. They didn't have that way of worship. They were outside of all of that. And it's the same way today. We Christians have a book, the Bible, that we know, we study. We have extra meetings to study the Bible. We have a code of conduct. We kind of look down a little on the people who don't live our way. We have particular ways of worship, and it's really important to worship these ways. And then there are people outside of that who haven't learned all of that, who are coming fresh to the Bible, who are coming fresh to our worship services. Maybe some of you are that peop those people because Hope Church has always thrown open the doors to both groups of people, to those who come from a Christian culture and those who do not. We have said, y'all come, join the party. We are going to worship God and we want you to worship with us whether or, you, whether or not you know what's going on. We are going to preach from the Bible and we invite you to explore these ideas whether or not you know what's in the Bible. Learn with us, grow with us, become part of this community. And it has happened. The wall is being broken down. Jesus broke down the wall theologically and we continue breaking down those walls of culture. 
And I'm about to move on to my third point, but not yet, Mark. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you when. Yeah. Uh, in chapter 3, uh, let's uh, move on in our scriptures. Um, oh, the, the, in past times, human beings were not told the secret plan, but God has revealed it now by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. The secret is that by means of the gospel, the Gentiles have a part with the Jews in God's blessings. They are members of the same body and share in the promise that God made through Christ Jesus. God gave me this privilege of taking to the Gentiles the good news. Paul is saying that God gave him the privilege of taking the message outside to the Gentiles. It is a task that Paul has received. But it's not just for Paul. We can join in that. And he, in fact, he says so in chapter 4. We're finally getting to chapter 4, which was my assigned text for today. Um, there is one body and one spirit, just as there is one hope to which God has called you. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God and Father of all people who is Lord of all, works through all, and is in all. So Jews and Gentiles come together, and we come together as one. One Lord, one faith, one church, one set of, of rituals here. We come together in, in oneness here. And then he goes on. Each one of us has received a special gift in proportion to what Christ has given. You have a particular talent that God is going to use in this, in this mission. The secret mission he's given us. Now, pause for a second. And um, I know last week Rick talked about the Mission Impossible TV show. Um, and he talked about how he, when he was a kid he watched reruns on TV of Mission Impossible. I'm older than Rick, and so, so I watched them when they first came on. I watched the original Mission Impossible Saturday nights. It was, it was my favorite show. It was the coolest thing ever. That you had this, this guy. It was, it, it was actually a different guy, an actor playing it, than, than Peter Graves took it over. And uh, so he'd be walking down the street and he'd go to like a phone booth and find a, a little reel of tape and then go to some back room somewhere and put it in a tape recorder, and, uh, and then he would hear the message. Good morning, Jim. An Eastern European dictator is seeking to make nuclear weapons and establish dominance in the region with that. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to thwart his nuclear deal and restore order in the region. As always, if you or any member of your IMF team are caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. I practiced that for a long time. It was the coolest show ever. And then, and then the, the tape would like vaporize there. You know, it, it, was, it was cool. But then this leader would get out his folder and would start looking at pictures of the people, of the team that he selected 
for this mission. And Rick, Rick is right. Last week, Rick said, he, he mentioned how there were a number of different, there were like eight or ten different people the first season, but then they focused on these four people. So there was an actor who was excellent with masks and could play any role uh, that, that he needed to play. Um, there was a woman, and I'm, this is very sexist, but she was a very sexy woman, and she used her charms to seduce men that they, to get them to do what they needed to do. And there was a technology guy, and there was a strong guy who could just, you know, bust through any wall they needed to, to, to get through. And so together, these, this team used their different skills to accomplish this impossible mission. And every week, they did it, believe it or not. The secretary never had to disavow knowledge of their actions, because they always survived and they always got the job done. They were a team. Now, I've been very interested in the, um, uh, in, in the movies in recent years that have come out uh, with Tom Cruise as, as the, the main guy of Mission Impossible. And he has some people around him who help him out. But it's all about Tom Cruise saving the world. And so my message to you today is don't be Tom Cruise. Maybe you have had preachers preach to you something like this. How many disciples have you made this week? Have you made any disciples this week? Well, you should be ashamed of yourself if you haven't because it's your job. Jesus says it in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Each one of us needs to make disciples all the time. And if you're not doing it, you are a loser as a Christian. That's wrong. That's wrong because the commission is given to the church. And I know that because it's make disciples and then baptize them. I haven't baptized anybody. You haven't either. Steve, maybe you have. I don't know. But, but uh, it, it's not my job. It's the church's job to make disciples, and I have a part in that. How does the church do things? It always does things together by people using their gifts. Ephesians 4 is one of four different passages in the New Testament that talk about the different gifts that Christians have, the different abilities, and, and it, it lists, and there are different lists. Some people have looked through those and counted them up and said, well, there are 14 spiritual gifts that people have. I think it's way more than that. And I think that it has changed over time. I think that there is a gift of technology now that I do not have. But some of you, you guys back there probably have that gift. And it's not just something you're good at. It is something that you know how to use to serve God, to worship God, to love other people, and to get the message out. And so in Ephesians 4, we have, I think we, we can go on, um, it talks about Jesus was the one who came down, the same one who ascended, and in the middle of this it says, it was he who gave gifts to people, that's a quote from the Old Testament, he appointed some to be apostles, others to be prophets, others to be evangelists, others to be pastors and teachers. And he could go on, I think, to say there are some who are technologists, and there are some who are just the people who help everyone to have fun. 
And we've seen this for years at Hope Church, where there are some people who are good at inviting people, and they bring people into the church. And there are other people who, who, who are hospitable, and who, who bring coffee to people, and, and who give them a donut and help them to feel comfortable in the room. And there are other people who talk to them and have a sense of, of caring for them, of, of trying to help them, understanding what troubles they have and, and how to help them through those troubles. And there are others who have specific ways of helping people and others who take care of the children, and other, which is another gift that's not mentioned in Scripture, but I am convinced it's a gift that I also don't have. Um, some, some who teach and some who preach, and some who write. There are all sorts of gifts in the church. Your gift is to be used. That's there's the great passage in Romans 12 where it says, if your gift is teaching, then teach. If your job is giving, then give. Do what you are called to do. So the question is not how many people have you how many people have you saved this week? The question is how have you used your unique ability to further the secret mission of God that he has given to the church? How have you taken that thing that you do and used it in the church, to worship God better, to love one another better, and to take outside of our assembly the message of the amazing love of God. That's the question that I leave you with today. I'm going to close in prayer. The band's going to come up as I do, and um, we'll uh, sing a song and, uh, and uh, then go. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we've been all over the place this morning, but to some good places. You told Abraham, go, get out of Babylon. You told Moses to go into a dangerous situation. And you're telling us to go outside of our community and, and use our gifts to extend your love to a world that desperately needs it. Keep talking to us. Let us hear your voice in our lives and motivate us. Let us have the courage to respond in faith, to become part of this secret mission that you've given us. We pray this in your name. Amen.